It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology world? This is episode number 80, and I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PC Nerd 37 And tonight, I'm going solo. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but uh, about two minutes before recording time, got a DM on Twitter from Wesley saying he has some last-minute family issues. So he's out for this week, and last week uh, didn't have a show because his internet went out. I got about halfway through the show, realized that it was junk, so I kind of deleted the recording with the intention of going back and doing it another day in the week. Just ended up not having time to go back and do a good show, because I'm not a big fan of releasing a crappy show. So, anyway, looks like I'll be doing the show solo this week, so for any of you that have been listening for all 80 episodes of the Global Geek News Podcast, you kind of have an idea what you're in store for. For those that are relatively new, I guess this is something special for you. I don't do solo shows very often. It's been, I don't know how long since I've done one, but tonight's going to be a little bit different. I will be doing this show all by myself. I don't even have any of my animals in here in my room with me this time. So, anyway, I, of course we still have a full bunch of stories despite the fact, or I still have a full bunch of stories despite the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of any news last week. But you can find all the stories in all of our show notes at globalgeeknews.com. That, of course, is also where you can find how to donate to us, all kinds of other content that I put up there, including the Tips of the Week post, which, I don't know, I've been given given it some thought lately, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of people that really care too much about the Tips of the Week post. There, There's a few that absolutely love it because it's a fabulous resource, but as far as actual traffic, it doesn't seem to be getting hardly any. So I'm giving... So I have this idea, and I'm not sure if I'm going to go through with it or not. It's just kind of an idea at this point of taking the tips of the week and maybe breaking it off into a daily podcast. Maybe taking, I I usually have like, what, 20, 30 tips or whatever that per week. So I'm thinking taking that and just taking like two or three tips a day and doing maybe like a little video show kind of explaining the tips so you can kind of get a feel for what they are, how to use them, stuff like that. Just just an idea that's rolling around in my head. If that's something you're interested in, feel free to shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at Global Geek News. Tell me what you think. Tell me your idea of what should be done. Or you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at pcnerd37. 
37, or you can shoot it to at Global Geek News, or you can just stick it in the comments. I really don't care. I'll find it one way or the other. It doesn't really matter. Um, but speaking of the tips of the week, for those of you that haven't checked out Friday's tips of the week, it has there's a whole bunch of stuff in there as far as um, like Photoshop tutorials for adding like effects for rays of light, how to create some buttons using Photoshop, how to give your photo like an older look changing eye color, um, making text look neat by using strokes, basic guide to Photoshop filters. And, that, and it's not just all Photoshop stuff. There, there's a ton of other stuff, including kind of how to make yourself the next YouTube star, um, some tips for Gmail's new priority inbox and how to get that working with your filters. Um, there's a budget sub $150 solid state drive roundup. So if you... And I think most of those are like around a 40 gig drive. So if you're looking for a smaller drive, probably for maybe like a netbook or something like that, and you're looking at a solid state drive, that would definitely be a guide you would want or a link you'd want to check out. I know I'm considering doing that with some of my netbooks. From my understanding, is that in most cases, with whether it's netbooks or laptops or whatever, SSDs tend to give you about a 10% boost in battery life. So that that's Something definitely to be considered if you're looking to go with a solid state drive in your portable computer. But there's all kinds of other stuff for iPad apps for news reading, WordPress themes for small businesses, monitoring your CPU memory and network usage on your Android phone. I mean, there's really somebody for there's really something for just about everybody on there. So make sure to check out that. That would be tips of the week number seven, and don't forget go back and check out all the other previous tips of the week. There's got to be like hundreds of different tips by now. So, or individual links or whatever. Uh, you're certain to find lots of stuff that you'll be able to use for one thing or another. Anyway, I suppose I should probably bring up the all of the stories for tonight's show. I kind of forgot to do that with this not being a normal show I kind of got kind of threw me off just a little bit but while I am doing that don't forget you can support the show um, the best thing to do would probably be buying stuff buying merchandise through our store that's linked to up at the top of the page just because going around town wearing a global geek news t-shirt does a good job of getting our name out there and we certainly appreciate donations to, whether it's $5 a month or you want to just give us a thousand bucks, hey, that's fine with me. But t-shirts and stuff like that are good. But anyway, now that I finally have all of the stories open, we can go ahead and jump right into the news, starting with, apparently Apple is losing 20% of U.S. iPhone sales to AntennaGate. This coming out of the Business Insider. Apparently there's been a survey that was conducted by Piper Jaffray, I guess is what it's called, or I, I assume that's an organization rather than a person. I, I don't know. They don't really make that clear. <clears throat> Excuse me. But apparently they surveyed 258 cell phone owners in the Minneapolis area to determine what effect the iPhone 4 antenna gate controversy had on their on whether they were interested in purchasing an iP iPhone 4. 
And apparently, of those people that knew about the problems, 20% of those affected their decision to purchase the iPhone. Or the iPhone 4, I should say. Apparently, the antenna issues kind of remove whatever upsides that they were talking about, or that have been played up with the iPhone 4. But it's apparently the biggest thing that was brought up by people without it even being part of the survey or whatever was that they wanted it on Verizon. That's apparently the biggest reason why a lot of people aren't buying iPhone 4s because they don't want to have to deal with AT&T. They would rather have it on Verizon. Or I would be kind of curious to know. I know I know a lot of people are wanting it on Verizon, but I'm curious what people would think if it went to a carrier like Sprint or some or T-Mobile or something like that. So it's not Verizon, but at least it's not AT&T. Uh, I'm kind of curious to know. I'd like to see a survey, something to that effect. And if you're if you aren't an iPhone 4 owner or whatever, and you would like it to be on a carrier, other carrier, what carrier would you like it to be on? Do you Does it have to be Verizon for you? What Would you mind if it was on Sprint or T-Mobile or whatever? I'm curious to know kind of what you guys are thinking here, so by all means stick it in the comments. But I don't, I don't know. For me, personally, I... As long as it's with AT&T, I certainly will never get an iPhone 4. I mean, I just got a new Android uh, Motorola i1 on Sprint's Nextel brand. So I'm essentially stuck with that for another two years, unfortunately, unless I want to pay a nice little early termination fee or whatever. But I, I, I don't see myself... Even if that wasn't the case, I really don't see myself buying an iPhone 4 as long as it's on... AT&T. If it was on Verizon, eh, that'd probably be okay. If it was on Sprint, I do tend to, for the most part, I do enjoy Sprint for the, for the most part. There's when I when I went and bought the phone, there, there was definitely some issues as to where I had to go back to the store because they somewhere along the transfer they screw, screwed up the Direct Connect, they screwed up the billing. There's all kinds of a mess there. It's like okay, you have great phone service, but your employees aren't that competent. Speaking of incompetent employees, before I jump right into the um, next story, which, again, is about AntennaGate, um, I wanted to kind of call out an organization that has kind of screwed me. Um, For those of you that have been following along on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, know that I've been trying really hard to get this job for being some kind of a... Oh, I don't remember the exact title, but it's doing some sort of playtesting of Age of Empires Online. And I've been having to go through this headhunter organization called Calabra. Well, they've kind of screwed me around for the past month to the point that before I've even gotten an interview, which they should have had set up weeks ago, somebody else has been offered the position. Which really irritates me. The whole thing should have taken two, maybe three days tops. That's kind of what I've done in the past with with other headhunter organizations like Volt. Is that it was like a two or three day thing that 
was even to get me up to Redmond to do an interview, an in-person interview, and this, this should have just been a phone interview. And in over a month, they couldn't get their act together. They bounced me around between three different women, all, I think, all more incompetent than the last. And it was like they all had a little piece of my information for my file or whatever. They all had everything, but each of them individually had something. And, of course, they don't seem to talk to each other. So everything... So they just kind of dragged their feet, not realizing that they all had everything and all the information until we had like a big conference call between all of us. It was a, a week and a half for two weeks ago or whatever to realize, oh, hey, they do have everything. Now we can get going with the interview. And then, of course, they don't bother to ever set up the interview. But anyway, they're just a bunch of lazy, incompetent idiots. If you ever have to deal with Collabora, I recommend not doing so. I recommend trying to go through one of the other headhunter agencies. I wouldn't necessarily recommend Volt, as they're not real wonderful either, or at least they're not real wonderful when it comes to actually getting back to you when you submit a resume or whatever. If they have somebody on the other end pushing you, like, say, from inside of Microsoft and you're looking for a contract position or whatever, they tend to be a little bit more on the ball, but... Otherwise, I wouldn't recommend them either. I'm not sure exactly who to recommend at this point, but I don't. If you have somebody you'd recommend for like doing contract work and stuff, by all means, stick it in the comments. I would or hit me up on Twitter or whatever. I would love to hear who you recommend that you've had good luck with, because it seems like each organization I just keep getting screwed with more than the last. But anyway, back to the uh, whole antenna gate thing. After that nice little rant there. Apparently, Apple looks to officially close the whole AntennaGate thing starting September 30th. I guess as of September 30th, they're going to start. They're going to stop sending out the free bumper cases. Uh, it's not stopping the program altogether. If you still, if you call up to Apple Care, you can still get your free bumpers if you're having an issue or whatever. But apparently, up until now, there's been an app on the iPhone 4 where you can um, request a free bumper through the app. And apparently that's what's going to stop working on the 30th is you won't be able to request a free bumper through that. And apparently, and I'm guessing maybe if you buy a new phone, it won't come with it automatically unless, of course, you call up the Apple Care and say, hey, I'm having these issues, send me a bumper. Which I'm not sure how widespread the issues really are when they had when Apple had their press conference oh I guess it wasn't too long after the iPhone 4 came out they were saying just kind of how overblown it was it was affecting such a small percentage of people and whatnot yet I'm still seeing even today on Twitter or like Twitter and Facebook and a number of places people saying oh oops I grabbed my iPhone the wrong way and it dropped a call so I don't know it seems like they're just wanting to try and shove this under the rug now and hope that everybody will just kind of forget about it. At least that's what it seems like to me. Again, I'd like to hear the opinion of the audience. Normally I have a co-host or guest or somebody to bounce things off of, but um, that's not the case tonight. Like I said, I'm going solo tonight. So, anyway, I'm kind of curious to know, if you are an iPhone 4 owner, how did the whole bumper program go? Was it 
really easy to get your bumper? Did you have to jump through a lot of hoops? I'm kind of curious to know just how painless or just how painful the whole experience of getting the bumper was. How long did it take to get to you? Did you have to pay for shipping? I don't. I haven't heard of anybody having to pay for shipping or whatever. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, but yeah, I'm definitely curious to know just kind of how that went. But I don't know. It, I'm, without seeing any kind of like improvements in the hardware itself, it seems kind of strange that they're ending this on the 30th. But I don't know. I assume Steve has a reason. Who knows? Maybe they're just losing too much money, so they're trying to take away the easiest way of getting the bumpers and going to a way that's a little bit more painful having to deal with Apple Care rather than just using an app on your iPhone. Ah, excuse me. Kind of have to drink a little bit more water since I'm doing the show all by myself tonight. Anyway, on to probably the biggest item from last week, that being Google Instant. For those of you that haven't done much Googling in the past week or in the past half a week or whatever it's been. Like, I guess it was kind of came out on like the 8th, which I think that was like Wednesday or something like that, yeah. Where apparently Google has this new way of doing searches where it's essentially the same, but have you noticed, I'm sure you've noticed, that when you start to type in a search term, there will be a little drop-down list of that'll just automatically populate based on what you're typing in to hopefully give you an I to as to where make it where you can just select what you're typing in and instead of actually having to type everything out. Well, they're kind of doing something similar to that, but with the actual search results themselves. So as you type, the search results display below the um below the box that you type into, but as you type the update the results themselves update to change so where if you say something it'll go and grab a bunch of search results and display them instantly but if you type in an extra word it'll automatically update those search results to make it more relevant to whatever search you're trying assuming you know what you're looking for I don't know, they're saying this is going to save people 350 million hours per year, or, or that's going to have how much user time is going to be saved per year, because according to their figures, the average search query is 20 characters long, and it takes an a-, a person, on average, to pick a result, it takes them 15 seconds to pick a result. How it takes people 15 seconds, I don't understand that. that usually, if I hit it, and I get my res- results returned, if I spend more than 5 seconds on the results page that must mean that I'm getting some really bad results that I'm going to have to really search down through all the different results, maybe go a page or two deep or something like that. But I I don't think I've there's ever been a time when I've actually spent 15 seconds on the results page before I actually picked something. But apparently a lot of people are slower than me, so I guess this is meant to try and save them more time and... Hopefully it'll make people people a little bit better searches, searchers, so that just kind of as they're typing in their search terms, they can see the results change dy- um, dynamically, 
so that they can have a better idea of, okay, if I add this particular word, it'll give me better results. If I take this word away, it'll give me worse results, that kind of a thing. So, so far I seem to like it. It seems to be a nice little service. It seemed to be, it seemed like it was maybe a little bit of a slow roll, rollout, because at first it wouldn't show up for me on Firefox, but when I went to Chrome it would work just fine. Now it works fine on Firefox, I, and I believe it works okay on Opera, and I think it works on okay on just about everything. And ever since this has come out, everybody's like ma- turning everything instant. I, th- I think I saw... Um, I think it was some kind of a user-created program or whatever as to where it'll turn Gmail instant. So I'm guessing for when you're searching through your Gmail. I saw one today. I think it was supposed to be some 15-year-old kid or something like that that's created iTunes instant. I'm guessing so you can start to type something in iTunes and it'll pull up the music out of your music library. I, or I guess I didn't really take the time to look at it. Today's been a bit of a busy day that's just completely and totally flown by, which is kind of nice for a Monday. But, anyway, it's definitely kind of an interesting idea. I'm kind of surprised they haven't come up with it before now. I, what I really would like to see is what Bing's response is going to be, because they're still kind of back on the whole type in a term, hit the search button, wait for it to pop up kind of thing. But, I don't know, I, I think Bing still has the better user experience, and I, I think it makes a lot of better results when you're looking for maybe local timely data, like movie theater times, local weather, stuff like that. I, I think that they tend to be a whole lot better than Google does, but at the same time, Google has a lot better search results, especially when you're looking for old or really obscure stuff. But anyway, I'm kind of curious to... I'm, interested to know ah excuse me what you guys think of google instant have you tried it do you like it have you tried some of these other instant things that people have thrown together like gmail instant or itunes instant what do you think of the whole movement and speaking of google i guess that the i don't know if it was necessarily at the same kind of event or if this is separate because it was posted on a diff- on the following day, which was Thursday. But apparently Google says that mobile search queries are up f- 400% or four times in the past year. Which, considering how many people are really going mobile with their lives, it doesn't really surprise me too much. I, I'm kind of surprised that it's that much. I, I mean, I could have seen maybe a 200 or 300% increase, but a f- four times increase in the past year is quite a bit. Oh, I really would have liked to have seen some more information. It's like, okay, how much of this is maybe through apps? How much of this is actually people going on Safari on their iPhone or Opera on their iPhone or on their BlackBerry or whatever, going to Google Google.com and searching for something? Or I, I'm kind of curious. I'd like to see just more of a breakdown of the numbers. And supposedly they're looking to their net that their Google Mobile revenue is at the end of the year is going to be around uh, in the neighborhood of about $500 million in revenue. So if they can keep up this four times growth, that's going to definitely make for a rather large market for them in terms of ads and stuff in the future. But at the same time, 
Who wants to deal with ads on their phone? I, I just don't get that. I don't see how they could be making that kind of money. I don't see people really clicking on ads for stuff. It's like, if I'm going to search on something, especially on a mobile device, whether it's like my iPod or my Android phone or my Kindle or whatever, I am don't want to be on that small interface any more than absolutely necessary. I want to look for what I'm looking for, click on it, do what I need to do and get out of there. I'm not going to spend time just Googling things like, ooh, this seems like an interesting ad. Let's see where it takes me. That's not something I really want to mess with. That, I don't know. I Maybe that's just me. Maybe lots of people like to click on their mobile ads because they're bored at the bus stop or something. I don't know. I guess if you happen to be a big mobile search person that likes to click on ads, let me know why. Tell me, why do you click on mobile ads? Personally, I don't click on ads, period. I use ad blockers and everything, so I don't see ads, period. But speaking of ads, one quick thing I wanted to get to. Since nobody seems to... Since the audience doesn't seem to want to really support the show financially with donations, purchasing stuff from the store, what have, what have you, I've went ahead and put ads back on the site so maybe I can at least make two or three pennies or something like that rather than absolutely nothing. Hate to have to do that, but that's just kind of what happened. I was hoping that we would get a little bit of user support, but apparently that's just too much to ask. So, I guess if you want to support us, you can. We'd really appreciate it. Or at least at least do something as far as telling people you know, people you don't know about the show, whatever. Anyway, on to the next story because we can get back to that later. Apparently consumers are less interested in 3D TVs after they experience it firsthand. Apparently this was a study conducted by Nielsen. Of course, they're the ones that do all the ratings and stuff for TV and radio. I I think they even do some stuff for the internet. I've never really paid too much attention to it because the way they do things like TV ratings and stuff is very inaccurate, and it's why they even go by something like this. I really, by their um, model, I really don't have a clue. If you're curious and want to know about it, you can, I'm sure you can Google that and find out how all the Nielsen ratings work, and if for people that have the Nielsen boxes and stuff like that, but. Apparently, the whole 3D thing seems to be a little bit overblown, or it seems to be all kind of hype. And and this is something that we've kind of been talking about here on the show for quite some time, is that people really don't want 3D TV. They're perfectly happy with their high-definition TV. A lot of people are still... It's still taking a while for them to get to the high-definition stuff, and it wasn't if it wasn't for the digital transition would have taken them a whole lot longer to get the, to the penetration that they have now. I, I know I saw some numbers a couple of months ago, but I really don't remember what the, what that penetration number is. But over the past couple of years for like CES and stuff like that, there's been a huge push by the TV manufacturers like Sony and Samsung and everybody to move to these 3D TVs. And that just kind of seems to be the way everyone's going. But now there's 
finally some... And, and of course, the whole time, there's, like, nobody that's really saying, hey, we want 3D TVs. I mean, in a in a movie theater, it can be nice. Personally, I think wearing the glasses, it takes too much of the brightness away, and things just end up being too dark, and it's just a horrible experience for a very little 3D feel from what I've seen of 3D movies. I haven't been to very many. But anyway, um, in these numbers, there's they surveyed... Um, uh, I don't see the exact number of people. They took them and said, hey, how likely are you to buy a 3D TV? And there were numbers like 25% said that they were very likely, or 14% said that they were like somewhat likely, or 31% maybe said maybe they could go either way, or 13% said not likely at all, or whatever. Well, after they had were given a 3D TV experience, that number dropped dramatically. So, like for the people that the 25% that were very likely to purchase the 3D TV, that then dropped to 12%. So it dropped by more than half, which certainly doesn't bode well for 3D TV. And they say that the main reasons are that there's not enough compelling content, which is true. I mean, how much stuff do you really want to watch in 3D? It's like, yeah, maybe some sports. Um, There's some shows that might be interesting in 3D, but who really wants to watch Fox News in 3D? It's like, yeah, I really don't think I need Sean Hannity coming out at the screen at me. I I don't know. But the lack of 3D content, which I'm not sure what... I know there's supposed to be a number of channels that are here coming or whatever. I think ESPN's supposed to have a 3D channel. I think it's already started or whatever, but there's really not very many 3D channels out there. The other one is, of course, the glasses. Apparently, 57% said that they hated the bulky, expensive eyewear, which last I had heard, the 3D glasses for these things, presumably like the active shutter ones, I think they're supposed to be like two or $300. So... And that tends to be really pricey. I mean, that's two or three hundred dollars per member of your family. Well, what happens when you want have everybody, all your friends, your family, and everybody else over for Super Bowl Sunday? Are you really going to want to buy a pair of glasses for thirty people? I don't think so. So yeah, there's the only apparently the only people that seem to be really interested in it is what they call hardcore gamers. Now, if their definition of hardcore is Gamers is the same definition of mine. I don't know. But they're saying that 71% of hardcore gamers are interested in 3D technology. I guess apparently with the... There was... At E3, there was a 3D demo of Killzone on the PlayStation 3, and I'm guessing that that must have... I, I know I heard a lot of oohs and ahs and everything during that demo, so I'm guessing maybe that's kind of got everybody in the gaming world excited about 3D TV. But in the end, you know you're going to leave the glasses laying around, and you're probably going to step on them, you're probably going to sit on them or whatever. And that's an expensive pair of glasses to be replacing every little bit. Anyway, enough of the 3D stuff. Let's move back on into the internet world, where apparently GoDaddy.com is up for sale. And apparently it could fetch over a billion dollars. I don't know, I've, I've heard 
different uh, estimates, everything from like a billion dollars to 1.4 billion. I guess they're um, this Catalyst Partners is shopping it around to various private equity firms. I guess back in 2006 they were looking, they had filed for an IPO but changed their mind before actually pulling the trigger, and now and there's been some talk on and off of hey when are they going to go public will they go public stuff like that so and and apparently i guess that's not going to be the case they're going to they're looking for somebody to buy them i don't know if i would necessarily be interested in buying something like godaddy.com i mean supposedly last year they made uh 750 to 800 million dollars in revenue so it seems like maybe a billion dollars is a little bit, or a billion plus might be a little bit much. But I don't know. Would you really want a company with an image like that, one that most people's knowledge about them is these crazy Super Bowl commercials? Or I know a lot of people that have kind of gotten, that have had hosting with them or whatever, and apparently. GoDaddy seems to have a policy of we don't investigate anything. And if if somebody makes a claim against one of the sites that we host, we'll just pull the whole site down without even questioning it or anything. Or that's my reason for never having gone with GoDaddy. I mean, at one point I had a domain with them just because it got transferred to me, and that's kind of who it was with. So that's what I just kept it with. But I've since let it expire. But I don't know. I'm not sure a company like GoDaddy would be something I would really want. I'm I'm kind of curious to see who would be interested in buying GoDaddy. I mean, who has that kind of cash that they're willing or that they're looking to spend on a domain register for and a register that's basically considered to be the cheap register where most people are going there for. I think I saw a deal like a month ago or something like that of like dollar ninety nine domain names or whatever. I don't know. I don't see anybody coming after them, but I don't know. What do I know? Maybe a, I can see maybe like a Google buying them, possibly a Cisco. I don't, I don't know. That I'm gonna have to think about that one some more. That, by all means, stick your opinions in the comments. Um, next one. This one's a little bit of a sticky story. The court ha- says that the first sale doctrine doesn't apply to licensed software. So, this story's been going on for years. The last decision in the case was back in 2008. But, apparently this is a case of a guy who is taking some AutoCAD software, Autodesk's AutoCAD software that he bought, I think, from like a garage sale or like a going at a business sale or something like that that he bought from like an architecture firm or whatever. And he was turning around and selling them with the CD keys and everything on eBay. Well, apparently Autodesk found out and they weren't too happy about it. And long story short, between as far as there was all kinds of issues. The guy nearly getting banned from eBay because Autodesk complained. And anyway, it ended up turning into this court case where 
Autodesk said that apparently the previous owner failed to abide by the EULA, so this guy shouldn't be able to sell it. Because apparently in the EULA that the previous architecture firm or whatever signed, or clicked I agree on or whatever, something that, of course, nobody ever reads the EULAs anyway, so who knows. But supposedly you're after doing, after hitting I agree or whatever, they essentially can't sell the software or whatever again if they ever get to a point where they want can't use it or want to upgrade the software and the, and the CD key must be destroyed, which, I don't know, seems a little goofy to me. And apparently there was also even a restriction in there that you can't take the CD or the license for the software or whatever outside of the Western Hemisphere. Seems a little strange. Have it on your laptop or whatever, doing a little bit of traveling to the Eastern Hemisphere. Uh, then what? Anyway, apparently the court, this being the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, so, of course, you know, this is going to... This is coming from a bunch of crazy activists out there, and which means this also only... A, the This particular ruling only applies to, I believe it's like California, Washington, Oregon, I think Nevada, Idaho, Montana, I think are the only ones that the Ninth Circuit um, covers. But... Anyway, as far as it's concerned, and, oh, let me back up, and this guy got a ruling against Autodesk back in 2008 saying, yeah, this he's welcome to, he bought this license for the software, he's welcome to do whatever he wants with it, despite what the EULA says. Well, apparently this judge on the Ninth Circuit said, no, the EULA is binding, and he can't do this, and apparently, you can't, there's no um, first sale doctrine or whatever applying to s- licensed software. Now, if it's a case of saying the person actually owns this software, then they can do with it whatever they want, apparently. But if it's a license to the software, then it has to go by whatever the Yule, the rules of the EULA are, which, of course, 99% of the time are all written in favor of the creator of the software. There's pretty much, there's usually very little rights as to what the person who's running the software can do with it. It's basically them saying, if you don't, if we don't like what you're doing, then we revoke, we can revoke the software, we can sue you, we can do whatever. So, essentially this kind of about destroys a whole industry almost. I don't know, I've got a feeling this is probably going to go to the Supreme Court, and I certainly hope that it does, because something like this basically will wipe out all software sales, all um, game sales off of things like eBay. It'll take, it'll, it should, I'm, I'm not sure what that, the, necessarily the EULAs and stuff for games, but in most cases, like, GameStop's used games, it'll be violating those EULAs so they won't be able to sell used games anymore, which will absolutely thrill game publishers because they've been upset with the whole idea of people being able to resell their games for years. That's why um, now, I believe with the the latest Tiger Woods, EA is 
saying, okay, you can sell the game, but if whoever want, whoever buys the game used wants to play it online, they have to pay $10 or whatever to get this little card with a number on it that will allow you to access the multiplayer or whatever. And there's, of course, a number of publishers and stuff that are trying that trying out that model to so they can at least try and make some money off of the used game market. So, I don't know. It's it's definitely going to be an ugly thing, and hopefully this ruling gets thrown out. Hopefully the Supreme Court or somebody will step in here really soon. But speaking of what's legal and what's not, uh, let me see, how are we running on time? Yeah, we're about 40 minutes into this show, so we're doing all right, because we still got about four stories to go. Um, apparently, peer-to-peer investigations are now illegal in Switzerland. Apparently, a recent law in a recent lawsuit, the courts have essentially gutted the laws in Switzerland relating to whether or not people or organizations can do any peer-to-peer surveillance to gather information for people that are pirating media or whatever. Apparently that's now illegal because even gathering public information is now apparently illegal. So sites or services like Logistep, I guess, is the main one in this case that was doing this, can no longer do any kind of investigations to track down peer-to-peer users on like BitTorrent or eDonkey or whatever the different kinds of things are. Ah, excuse me. Allergy seems to be getting to me a little bit tonight. But I'd, apparently, uh, and there's a whole lot more to this as far as history, as far as like EU saying IP addresses, or at one point there was an, uh, a proposal in the EU to say that IP addresses are personal data and stuff like that. Well, apparently that is now the case in Switzerland where they're saying IP addresses are personal data, and the only one that's allowed to get to them for investigations is the government. So these companies like these uh, Logistep, um, there's one called uh, Gardelay, which is apparently the one that does all the investigations for the U.S. copyright group that's, of course, doing all the tens of thousands of crazy lawsuits here in the U.S. over movies like Far Cry and stuff like that. Well, apparently now they just won't be able to function in Switzerland. So I, I, I guess supposedly Logistep is threatening to move out of the company or out of the country so that they can continue their practices. And all I can say is I now want to move to Switzerland. Don't know much other than that about Switzerland, but sounds good enough for me to move there. So I may have to look into that. But. Speaking of other countries, of course, this is the Global Geek News Podcast. We don't just talk U.S. news here. But apparently in the Australian court, they've decided that headlines aren't copyrightable. This is, of course, something that the U.S. courts figured out a long time ago. But apparently there's just now a a case going through the courts in Australia where it's been ruled that headlines aren't intellectual property, you can't copyright them or anything. So, now it seems like finally the Australian courts kind of 
have a little bit more common sense. It's like, and, and I don't know, I don't see how you can copyright them. <coughs> excuse me, copyright them anyway. I mean, or how they would have been able to copyright them up until this point or whatever. Anyway, I mean, if you see a headline, how many different ways are there to usually, and or say a he- to describe a story in a headline? I mean, when you're when you have a specific event or whatever, usually what you want to say the who and kind of the, a little bit of the what in the headline, and there's only so many different ways that you can phrase that a story before you're going to end up stepping on somebody else's headline. Or, in my case, whenever I post links on whether they're in like the show notes or whatever, I just take the headline straight from the site so that way you know what you're getting when you're going to the site for the story or whatever. But, anyway, good on the Australian court. If you're in Australia, I'm kind of curious. I I think, I know we do have a couple of Australian listeners, so if you're in Australia, I'd be kind of curious to know what your thoughts are about this, why it's taken so long to get a judgment like this, or why it wasn't just plain law in the first place. But, anyway, again, going with the overseas movement, the European Parliament has passed an anti-ACTA declaration. Now, this isn't necessarily like a law or anything, but apparently 377 members of the European Parliament adopted a written declaration on the um, Anti-Counterfeiting Trade Agreement, ACTA, in which they demand greater transparency transparency, assert that the ISP should not be held liable for the data sent through their networks, which, from my understanding of the latest uh, leaked version of ACTA, they're no longer liable for data sent through their networks, and say that ACTA should not force limitations upon judicial due process or weaken fundamental rights such as freedom of expression and the right to privacy, which... I'm guessing the whole right to privacy thing has to do with maybe, like, the whole concept of IPs being private information, like we talked about with the Switzerland story a couple minutes ago. But, I don't know, but there seems to be a rather large movement in the European Parliament, and I meant to look to see just how many members of the European Parliament there are to know just how big of um, an impact this is really going to have of 337 members having signed this declaration, but I don't know, I I would this doesn't necessarily mean anything's going to happen that like the EU will all on out will out and out reject it or anything like that, but it definitely should make the active people take note, because apparently they did this to try and get them to say hey, you can't do all this stuff that it's going to screw with people's rights and and the judicial system and everything behind closed doors where nobody has a clue what's going on except for the people that are involved in it, especially when you have, like, this global agreement. So, you know, hopefully these people in the record industries will see this and kind of wake up and say, oh, hey, maybe we should at least do some of this out in the open. I don't know. I I can't wait till you see the headline, ACTA DIES. Uh, I, of course, I've never been a big fan of ACTA, and 
Thrust, to me, it seems kind of like the DMC, the U.S. is DMCA, but for the whole world, is seems to be a lot of it. I, there seems, I mean, they, I don't know about the current revision. I haven't actually gone and looked at it myself. The current leak revision, but that seems to kind of be the case. Although it seems like on some stuff they have tried to go a little bit farther than the U.S. DMCA, but ah, excuse me. Anyway. Good on the European Parliament. Makes me like Europe more and more every day. And finally... Uh, let's see, how are we on time? Yeah, we still got about 13 minutes left, so we're doing good. Finally, there's apparently a new worm going around. Or new, I don't know, I hear some places saying worm, others saying email virus. This particular story says email virus. To me, it's, the definition sounds more like a worm. But apparently it's known as the here you have email worm where apparently it, it's making its rounds in email where the subject is going to say here you have and apparently it's already had a major effect on companies like Comcast, NASA, Wells Fargo and apparently what it is is you get these emails and it seems to be supposedly targeted mostly at corporations and stuff as maybe like a foothold into getting into these corporations or whatever from the description of what the virus supposedly does according to Symantec is that it spreads through map drives through auto run it'll spread through email by taking contacts from an address book and sending itself and it'll send itself through instant messengers so I wouldn't say it's just an email worm and apparently it'll disable various security-related programs. Of course, it doesn't mention whose programs they it disables, but I would say that just assume that yours is on the list. I don't know. Personally, I use Avira's Antiver. It's always done a fantastic job for me. If you're using something else, I'd certainly be interested in hearing about it. I've, I know I've been thinking about switching over to the Microsoft's security suite, or I, I don't remember what the... Um, Security Essentials, that's what it is. Their version of antivirus. I, I've heard all kinds of wonderful things about it. So I'm thinking about switching over to that. And again, I don't know if that's on the list. But apparently what this is, when you if you get it in the email, A, don't open it. B, if you do, apparently it'll come to you. It'll say, hello, this is the document I told you about. You can find it here. And then it'll give you a link to what looks like a PDF document. It's not. Apparently it's actually an, a .scr executable file, which, for those that aren't familiar with the .scr extension, that is the Windows screensaver executable. So if, for like new screensavers or whatever. So this is a Windows-only virus. This won't affect Macs, this won't affect, Lin, affect Linux users, just Windows users. But, but then it'll say, please check, please check it and reply as soon as possible cheers, and then it'll have the name of whatever person, probably somebody that you supposedly know, since it went through somebody else's address book, got your email address, sent it to you, so it looks like it came from somebody you know, that kind of a thing. But, anyway, you just want to be careful about stuff like this. My rule of thumb is that if I'm not expecting something, I don't care if it's something that has an attachment, has a has a link in it or whatever. 
if I see something that's suspicious like this, I will contact that person and say, hey, did you send me this? What is this? Before I ever open it, I'll call them, I'll send them a tweet, I'll get them on instant messenger, whatever, just as a way of kind of protecting myself. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people will go to that length. I think they should, but that that's my way of protecting myself, is that if there's something that I'm not specifically expecting, like, say... If I did, if you send me a document, I didn't tell you to send it to me, or you didn't mention something about it beforehand. You just send it to me out of the blue. I'm going to contact you, say, "Hey, what the heck is this?" Before I ever even bother to open it, because apparently this is something. This is just a real nasty thing. Because with this particular one, it not only disables like the antivirus and stuff like that, but according to Symantec, if you just open the folder that contains this file, it'll launch this. It'll launch this worm. So, and of course, they don't, in this particular story, they don't give uh, any links for anything for how to remove it. I, I'm sure you could probably Google how to remove the here you have virus or whatever or worm, and I'm sure you could probably come up with some some way of getting rid of it. But if it's sending itself through network drives and all kinds of stuff, I'd, I'd say you've got issues if you do have this virus. I don't know. It, I would assume that it also would get sent out to like USB drives and stuff like that. So be careful if you're putting USB drives in, in and out of your computer, stuff like that. But anyway, I think that's enough talking about viruses and stuff. Just make sure you always have your um, system up to date in terms of updates and make sure that you always have your virus definitions up to date. Most virus companies give out new definitions daily, so make sure that your antivirus is updating daily, and make sure that you also have some like anti-spyware programs like SpyBot and stuff like that as well. Just the more, the better you protect yourself, the better off you are against things like identity theft, having your bank accounts drained, having your Twitter accounts hacked, whatever last thing you want is somebody getting on your Twitter account and tweeting your boss all kinds of horrible things to story your boss fires you. That would be kind of a sucky situation. So, just be careful out there. My recommendation, if you're really into security and you really want to know about this stuff, listen to this um, Security Now podcast with Leo Laporte and Steve Gibson. Excellent podcast. It's got to be one of my all-time favorites. Sometimes it can get a little on the really technical side, depending on what the episode's about, so it'll probably be over a lot of people's heads, but they do a great job of talking about like these new viruses, new security issues that come up in like Adobe Reader or Windows or Internet Explorer or whatever, and and how to protect yourself about from stuff like this, especially if there hasn't been a patch released yet to fix issues and stuff like that. I highly recommend that show. It's on the Twit Network. I believe it's uh, twit.tv slash sn, I believe is, I think is the actual page. But Or you can also just go in iTunes or the Zoom Marketplace or whatever it is you have and just search Security Now and it should come up. Um, anyway, I think that is pretty much it for this week. This managed to be about a full hour show. I think we're running at about uh, 55 minutes or pretty close to it right now, but by the time I 
throw in the intro, the outro, and everything else, it'll be pretty close to an hour. But uh, don't forget to check out all these show notes and everything at globalgeeknews.com. If you have any comments on any of the stories, by all means, stick them in the comments at global in the, for episode 80 at globalgeeknews.com. Or shoot us a tweet at globalgeeknews, or shoot me a tweet at pcnerd37, or if you have something longer than 140 characters that you'd like to say... You can also shoot us an email at globalgeeknews at gmail.com. And I think that's uh, pretty much it. Again, don't forget to check out the store. If you're in a position to donate, please donate. Help the show survive. I'm Money-wise, I'm starting to run low on things. This is where I don't know how much more money I can really sink into this show more than I already have as is. And now my dog's having a fit about something. Who knows? Anyway, I think that's uh, pretty much it for this week. Again, sorry about not having a show last week. Don't forget to check out all of the articles that get posted on um, globalgeeknews.com, whether it's the tips of the week or had a nice post over the weekend. Why not to buy a Mac Pro? If you're looking at getting a Mac Pro, you definitely need to look at this um, image that I found. I don't remember uh, who posted the original Im, uh, image originally, I think it was like 9gag, and then I picked it up from uh, the next web, I believe. But basically showing just how severely overpriced the Mac Pro is. So, not to say that all Apple products are that way, I'd have to look into the comparison myself as far as like the MacBook Pros, um, Mac Minis, iMac, stuff like that. Anyway, if you're looking to get a MacBook, uh, Mac Pro desktop, uh, don't. Anyway, I think that's pretty much it for this week. We will see you guys next week. Like I said, don't forget to check us out at globalgeeknews.com. And hopefully, Wesley will be back next week. And we will see you then. Later. <laughs>